the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Let me be weighed on honest scales that God may know my integrity. Integrity. Solomon would write in Proverbs 16, verse 2, All a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. When you start talking about things like integrity and motives, we're talking none other than the heart issues. And the Bible says in Proverbs 21, verse 2, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Daniel. Did you know that the Lord weighs the heart? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Gary, he teaches you that God doesn't just look to the exterior. God looks into the interior of your heart. He knows your inmost thoughts and weighs your interior motives. Pastor Gary explains that God cares about the condition your heart is in. He wants to get to the root of what is going on internally. If you have some issues that are occurring within your heart, surrender them to God. Allow Him to heal you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Daniel, chapter 5, as he begins his message, When God Weighs Us. So if you're new to Cornerstone, we go straight through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We find ourselves here on Sunday mornings in the book of Daniel. I'm going to read from New King James Version, the first 12 verses here of Daniel chapter 5. It says this, Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. 
And then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Can I ask you, why don't they give up on these guys? I mean, they, they've never been able to get it right as it is, and they keep trying and trying again. I mean, isn't that the definition of an insanity? You know, you just keep trying the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result and never getting it. Well, anyway, verse 9, then the king Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers, inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. Well, it finally takes the wisdom of the woman in the scene here. To say, you know, you've been dealing with these uh, enchanters and soothsayers. Why don't you bring in Daniel? I've heard actually he can interpret these things. And Daniel does, in fact, interpret this. We're going to talk about what all this means here in chapter 5 and see how it applies to our lives today. So if you were with us last week, uh, we were in chapter 4. And uh, chapter 4 ended with the last reference to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who died in the year 562 B.C., around the age of 72. He was a man who finally seemed to be surrendered to God after God's long pursuit of his heart. And as I've said in the past, I personally believe that I wouldn't be surprised if we see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven, because after 30 long years of God pursuing this guy, it seems at the end of chapter 4 that he finally comes to that place of full surrender. Nebuchadnezzar reigned for 44 years. That was the longest of any of the Babylonian kings. And after his death, we know historically that there was a six-year power struggle between his son, his sons-in-law, and his grandsons for the throne. And eventually, the throne was wrestled by one of his sons-in-law, whose name was Nabonidus. And Nabonidus became king, but history tells us that he enjoyed vacationing in Arabia more than he liked being in Babylon. And so he, he was an absent king. And so what Nabonidus did was he appointed his son, Belshazzar, as co-regent. And then basically Nabonidus just checked out, vacationed all the time, and Belshazzar was the one who actually looked over, oversaw, ran the kingdom of Babylon. That's this Belshazzar here in Daniel chapter 5. 
He is actually the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. So when you read here in chapter 5 that that his father was Nebuchadnezzar, the Hebrew word father translates ancestor. We know historically that it just is a respectful term to, you know, acknowledge that Nebuchadnezzar was like the father on the throne, but he was actually the grandfather of Belshazzar. And Belshazzar reigns from around the years 553 BC until the demise of the Babylonian Empire, which is 539 BC. And what we read here in chapter 5 is the demise of the Babylonian Empire, and Belshazzar loses his life at the end of this chapter. So therefore, we know the date. The date of chapter 5 is 539 BC. That's the year here that Belshazzar is, is reigning. This is the year that he dies. Uh, this is the final year of the Babylonian Empire. And Daniel, we find, is still serving the, the various kings of the throne, on the throne of Babylon. Daniel, by the time we get here to chapter 5, is roughly 82 years of age. And he's been faithful to the very end. He's never compromised his walk with God. He's been true to the Lord, and he has been used in a mighty way to have influence on these pagan kings. And he's about to bring influence on on the life of Belshazzar here. And so Belshazzar here in chapter 5 is throwing this lavish drunken dinner party for a thousand of his guests. And these are more of the nobles and officials. It talks about his wives and his concubines. And one of the things that he does here is he shows contempt for the things of God because he actually takes the sacred goblets that were confiscated from the temple of God in Jerusalem by his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar when Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem in 586 BC. Belshazzar takes the golden goblets that were taken from the temple of God and uses them as the drinking cups for the wine at this last drunken dinner party. And so he's showing no respect for God. He's showing contempt for God. It says in verse four that they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which shows us here that he didn't learn anything from his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. Obviously the testimony of his grandfather had little to no impact on Belshazzar, because here he is just uh, worshiping the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone, and drinking from these sacred vessels. So he's not in a good place spiritually. And, and the Bible tells us here in chapter 5 that he throws this dinner party. And he's, he's sitting around with a thousand of his nobles, and the wine is flowing, and all of a sudden, the music in the background, a little Stevie Wonder, very superstitious writing on the wall. And so that's what happens here. So he, Stevie's playing in the background. He sees some writing on the wall here. I also, my mind drifts to the Adams family also and the little hand that, you know, always walks across the floor. And, uh, and so anyway, that's, that's what's happening here in this scene. Now, by the way, you know, we've heard the expression before. In fact, we use it in modern terminology. We talk about how, yeah, I, I kind of see the handwriting on the wall. That's a phrase that always portends something ominous. Uh, you might say, for example, hey, I think I'm about to lose my job. You know, my boss has been really funny around me. I think I see the handwriting on the wall. And what we mean by that is, you know, we get the point. We see it in advance. That phrase actually came from Daniel chapter 5. And this is a literal event. Now it's a figurative term, but this is a literal event that is happening here. No doubt, Belshazzar, probably at first when he sees this hand writing on a wall, 
probably at first thinks, I've, I've been throwing back a few too many, you know, and he, and he, and he probably thinks to himself, I, I'm not seeing clearly, I've had too much to drink here. I personally find it funny, I think this is a little, you know, just Bible humor here, in verse 5, where it specifically uses the word plaster, it says that the hand was writing on the plaster of the wall. I just find it funny that God would choose to write on the plaster of the wall to a man who himself was a little plastered. Now, this is a unique and unusual manifestation of God. The ancient Jewish rabbis actually thought that the handwriting was the hand of the angel Gabriel, but it's more than that. And the reason we know that it's more than that is because the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible, and there are different references in the Bible where either literally or figuratively it speaks about the finger of God. For example, in Exodus chapter 8, the scene is the various plagues that God poured out upon Egypt because Pharaoh was reluctant to let the Hebrew slaves go back to Israel. And one of the plagues that God used were, were gnats, just, you know, uh, uh, bombarded Egypt with gnats. And the Egyptian magicians who used sorcery to try to divine things, they recognized that this was something unusual. They actually attributed these plagues to God. And they said in Exodus chapter 8, between verses 16 and 20, you find the story. The Pharaoh's magician said to Pharaoh, this is none other than the finger of God. In Exodus chapter 31, when after God had given the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, the Bible says in Exodus 31, 18, that God gave Moses the two tablets of the testimony, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. In the New Testament, Jesus was rebuking those who thought that he drove out demons by the power of Satan. And he said in Luke eleven twenty, I drive out demons by the finger of God. God is spirit, but God can choose to manifest himself with physical attributes. And this is one of those unusual examples of that, where God reveals himself, not entirely in physical form, but simply by a hand, and that he writes then with a, a human hand the fate of Belshazzar on the wall. And when Belshazzar saw this, he, in verse 6, it says, the king's countenance changed. Well, NIV says that his face turned pale and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked together against each other. So, you know, he's just like, he's like doing all this, right? Because he's all, he's all nervous about what, and, 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 you know, I don't, I don't doubt that we, we wouldn't be just like Belshazzar here. You're sitting in your house having a dinner party with people. They've come over to your home. And all of a sudden, this human hand starts walking across the floor and up on the wall and starts writing things out. I mean, you'd be a little freaked out too. So he's all weak in the knees. He's trembling with fear. He's literally physically trembling. He's, he's quivering in his shoes with fear here. And, and this is what is happening. And God is writing out Belshazzar's fate. And really, he's writing out the fate of the entire Babylonian empire. And we find out exactly what was written on the wall near the end of this chapter when Daniel interprets the writing. And if you glance in your Bibles at verse 25, you see four different Aramaic words that are written on the wall by this human hand that appears. 
And in verse 25, those four Aramaic words are mene, mene, tekel, uparsin. And these words simply translate, mene, mene is is repeated there, because whenever you see a word repeated, it often is used for emphasis. And so, mene means numbered in Aramaic, tekel means weighed, and uparsin, u is just the word for and, parsin is the plural word of perez, and it means divided. So, it's saying numbered, weighed, and divided. And Daniel interprets the writing on the wall in verse 26 to 30. If you look at your Bibles, verses 26 through 30, this is the interpretation of each word. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Now, this is Daniel speaking to Belshazzar. This, he's pronouncing judgment against Belshazzar from the Lord. Mene, your, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Verse 27, Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, which is the singular of Parson, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And then Belshazzar gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now, again, remember, there's a co-regency between Nabonidus and Belshazzar, so they're actually saying, Daniel, you're number three man in the kingdom here. And so, you know, Belshazzar clothes him in purple, puts, you know, this, this golden chain around his neck, which, I, you know, Daniel's not impressed by any of this stuff. He's 82 years of age by now. He's drawing social security. He's not impressed with any of this. He's like, you know, whatever, you know, I don't really care. And so, you know, but they're doing all this to honor him, and, and yet, and yet, Verse 30 says, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Now, note with me here, little history. History tells us, and this is exactly what the Bible tells us too, that Darius the Mede, history tells us, Darius the Mede was made governor of Babylon by Cyrus the Persian, who's the real victor in this story. And it began a co-regency between the Medes and the Persians. Now, the Medes had a small territory called Medea, which was just north on a map today of Iran. So we're talking the region of Azerbaijan and, and part of the region of Kurdistan. And the Persians in this story were the people of the larger territory of Iran. In fact, until 1935, Iran was always called Persia. And so these two relatively smaller countries come together, forming an alliance against the Babylonian Empire. And thus, the empire that succeeded the Babylonian Empire was the Medo-Persian Empire. Cyrus the Persian was king. Darius the Mede was governor. Uh, This is something that was not just a matter of, you know, circumstance. There was actually providential intervention in this because Isaiah the prophet back in Isaiah chapter 45 actually prophesied Cyrus by name 150 years before Cyrus was even born. Because God had already predetermined that he would, as the Bible says, he raises up kings and he deposes them. 
And God had raised up Nebuchadnezzar for a time, and he raised up the Babylonian Empire for a time because he was teaching his own Jewish people, the people whom he loved, a matter of discipline that they were steeped in idolatry, and he was prying them loose from idolatry and returning their hearts to him. And God used the Babylonians for a 70-year season to rid the Jewish people of idolatry. But when those 70 years were up, God tore down an empire, raised up another. And God providentially raised up Cyrus the king, who would be favorably disposed to the Jewish people. And Cyrus would be the one to allow the Jews to go back to their homeland after the 70 years was complete. So this was all part of the providential hand of God here. And what's interesting is, just as a historical matter, that you have to understand how fortified the Babylonian city was. It was considered the invincible city of its day. How in the world did Cyrus the Persian, Darius the Mede, the Medes and the Persians, take Babylon in a single night without even firing a single arrow? Well, history tells us. The Babylonian city was fortified by a wall that was more than 30 stories tall. We're talking more than 300 feet and 80 feet Thick. The Babylonians had also taken the Euphrates River and diverted it underneath the city wall of Babylon so that it meandered throughout the city, providing beautiful scenery and fresh water. And then they also diverted part of the Euphrates around the ancient city of Babylon to serve as a wet moat for an extra measure of defense. And yet the Persians and the Medes come in and overthrow this city in a single night. How did it happen? Herodotus, the historian, tells us that Cyrus the Persian dammed up the Euphrates River a mile and a half upstream, and then the Persians simply crawled through under the walls of Babylon on the dry riverbed of the Euphrates up into the city. On this particular night, this covert mission between the Medes and the Persians They overtook the city of Babylon while Belshazzar was having this drunken dinner party. The Medes and the Persians simply dammed up the Euphrates River and then crawled underneath the wall without even firing a single shot. And on that night, Belshazzar died and all of his officials, and it was the end of the Babylonian Empire. And the anniversary is coming up in one week from today because in the Babylonian annals, they recorded the date as October the 13th, 539 B.C., the Babylonian Empire fell. And God had a providential hand in all of this. Now, when God pronounced his indictment against Belshazzar with this writing on the wall, God said basically three things. One, your days are numbered. Two, your kingdom will be divided. And three, this word tekel. He says, I have weighed you and found you to be wanting or literally to be lacking. So the question becomes, how does God weigh us? And what can we learn from the life of Belshazzar in terms of from his story, what particular ways was he wanting or lacking that we might learn from his sad story? Well, first of all, the Bible tells us in different ways that God weighs us. Job would write in Job 31, 5 to 6, if I have walked with falsehood, or if my foot has hastened to deceit, let me be weighed on honest scales that God may know my integrity. Integrity. 
Solomon would write in Proverbs 16, verse 2, All a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. When you start talking about things like integrity and motives, we're talking none other than the heart issues. And the Bible says in Proverbs 21, verse 2, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. So let's take a look at what God says here through Daniel about Belshazzar that we might learn a few things about what might be lacking not only in his life, but perhaps in our own. Thanks for joining us today on Cornerstone Connection to study the book of Daniel. This man of faith lived in a time where Israel wasn't a nation. They didn't even live in their own homeland. Yet people like Daniel and his friends continued to serve the Lord, even when it wasn't widely accepted. They faced persecution, even to the point of death, yet they remained firmly planted in the truth of God's Word. While today you may not be facing a lion's den or a furnace if you profess your trust in Christ, you may indeed face opposition. God is still calling you to stand strong and to tell the truth, helping others to see the light. Your Creator is with you and will be your strength through whatever comes your way. Please know that we're praying for you here at Cornerstone Connection. If there's something specific we could be lifting up to the Lord, please get in touch with us. Our number is 703-771-1500. That's 703-771-1500. Do you have a church family? If not, we'd love to step into that role for you. You're invited to be part of our weekly services here at Cornerstone Chapel. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to get the latest information on service times, and regulations so that you can join us safely, either in person or online. You can also visit our Facebook page for information. You'll find a link at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. You know